1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, how about this road trip? Three straight wins and four nights out west, including Tuesday night's incredible comeback in Phoenix, game we all thought was a schedule loss, or at least I did, you know, with no Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, just an amazing performance by this team. You know, I think we all feel this season has been a bit of a roller coaster ride, ups, downs, players coming in and out of the lineup, awesome wins, few brutal losses. But overall, I mean, you really have to like where the Nets are right now. I mean, you look around the league, you know, you have a handful of teams that you know haven't been hit by that devastating injury to a star or COVID nineteen distraction. You know, inconsistency reigns supreme this year. So, you know, I guess the Nets at 18 and 12, they aren't in bad shape. And I'm going to get into how they can get even better on this show. And to help me with that, I've got another one of my old favorite special guests, Michael Scotto of HoopsHype.com popped in the chat before last night's game. He had some great nuggets, so you're going to want to stick around for that. I think you'll enjoy it. As always, I ask that you please subscribe to this podcast when you can on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using right now. And feel free to let me know what you think in the Apple Podcast review section. So, about last night, you know, I think I tweeted sometime in the first quarter that I wish there was a way the rest of that game could be simmed. That the only thing to look forward to is seeing the new guys get in some run. You know, Noah Vonley and Andre Robeson. But, you know, as they say, that's why they play the games. You know Brooklyn fought back from 21 points down at halftime. The team tweeted out that it was the largest deficit they've ever overcome to win a game since they entered the NBA in 1976. Really had no business even being in it. You know, with that severely undersized lineup. In crunch time, you know, they played Landry Shamet and Tyler Johnson, you know, alongside James Harden, Joe Harris, and Jeff Green. And with Devin Booker going nuts early and Chris Paul late, you know, in the second half, Green had to jump out on every Phoenix screen, you know, leaving the Nets overwhelmed underneath. And still, you know, they clawed back. Point here, two points there. One of their 12 three-pointers and 22 attempts in the second half. That's crazy. You know, they hit 27 threes against Sacramento the night before. That was a team record. And they hit 12 in the second half against a much, much better defense. Johnson himself made four out of five threes. Big ones in the second half. And Harden? Well, he was simply magnificent. His second half numbers? 18 points. 7 assists. Five rebounds. Put the team on his back. You know, I thought Steve Nash erred and not going offense-defense with Bruce Brown in for Shamit in the last two minutes. Well, Shamit proved me wrong again. Not giving ground on that Booker post-up on the biggest defensive possession of the game. You know, the one right after Harden's three gave Brooklyn its first lead of the night. So, you know, I asked Johnson after the game about how the Nets managed to hold off the bigger Suns. And here's his response. Hi, Tyler. Uh, with all the switching you guys did on defense and Kevin not being there, leaving, you know, a relatively small, small line on the floor, what what kind of techniques or strategy do you have to use uh, when you're matched up on a switch against a bigger player?
0: Got to have some heart. You know, I you know heart is over for you. So, you know, we just got some
2: guys who, who – uh, who want to guard, you know? And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. If you, you're gonna let somebody bully you around, you know, then you really have no business being on the court. You know, it's, it doesn't matter if they're a little bit taller or a little bit bigger. Then you know that uh, you're gonna have help on, and in, in you got to know your rotation. So at the end of the day, that really doesn't matter.
1: So you gotta have heart. Uh, you gotta love it. That was that guard Tyler Johnson after that miraculous win in Phoenix last night, one that. Brought back fond memories of a similar game two years ago. Probably remember the D'Angelo Russell game in Sacramento. If I ever get to see Ryan Rucco again, I'll have to ask him to compare, you know, those end-of-game calls. Both gave me chills for what it's worth. Anyway, Nets are now on a four-game winning streak, including a really big win over Indiana in their last game at Barclays Center. And they're now past the halfway point of their grueling five-game West Coast road trip. Still got a tough two games remaining in L.A. versus both the Lakers and the Clippers. But, you know, as you all know, they do seem to gear up better for those kind of challenges. So, I guess we'll see. A lot will depend on the health of Durant, who injured his hamstring in his first game back at Golden State on Saturday night after missing his second full week of the season due to COVID-19 contact tracing quarantine. So we still don't know yet if this will turn out to be just a two-game thing like Nash originally thought or it's something that'll have to be monitored going forward. You know, in my heart, I believe KD wants to be in there for the Lakers game on primetime Thursday night. Though I'd say that, you know, L.A. losing Anthony Davis to a sore Achilles kind of takes a little luster off that meeting and as for Irving I mean we all could see KD shove him after the hardened three ball and it's not like Irving broke his back or anything Nash did say that Kyrie needed treatment at halftime in Sacramento on Monday night but this one walks and talks like a load management night off that the Nets had a paper over to avoid a fine for having a superstar miss a national tv game so, you know, I think the most important thing we've learned from this streak is how this team has to play. Connected defensively, lots of effort, lots of communication. You know, in Golden State, and that's held Stephen Curry, who's been on fire for about a month. They held him to two-for-nine from three. Rarely gave him any space to get off a good look. You know, NBA.com's tracking had uh, only one catch-and-shoot three allowed. Think about all the different types of screens the Warriors set to free up Steph. Just one catch and shoot. Again, connectivity and communication have to be spot on. Now, you'd think all the switching the Nets do on defense makes things easier, especially when they go with four guards, like when KD was at center that night at Golden State because DeAndre Jordan was out for personal reasons, or with Green again last night in Phoenix. But in reality... There's usually complications. You know, even when KD is in there with another big, it requires some nuance. You know, scram switching to quickly switch out of a switch, especially down low. Nets had been getting bludgeoned underneath on those earlier in the season. Actually, you know, they still are, just not as often. But that's how they've been getting away with playing small so far. You know, I don't know if it's going to be sustainable. But like everything else, you know, we're going to have to see. The larger point is that these recent games just goes to show you that, you know, this team just needs to play a little bit of defense because their offense, it's just ridiculous. I mean, the Nets have been shooting 51.3% from the floor as a team since James Harden came on board, nearly 42% from three. Some of the passing, I mean, it's been pure wizardry like the Nets yes announcers have been saying. And when defenses take away some of their actions, they can always find ways to score using their incredible one-on-one talents. And I worry as Nets fans, we're going to develop a tolerance to what we're seeing from these guys on a nightly basis, like a drug. I mean, Kyrie Irving goes off in Sacramento the other night for 40 points and it was taken, you know, matter of fact. He makes 9 of 11 threes. Like, that's normal. And Harden's passing? Wow, I mean... I wrote about it in a wFn.com piece a couple weeks ago, and, you know, there's nothing more else I could say. You know, I asked Nets guard Bruce Brown about it after the Warriors game, and here's the clip of his response. Hi, Bruce. Uh, can you just, just put into words uh, what it's like to be on the receiving end of some of those passes from James?
0: Yeah, they're crazy. Uh, really, we just make eye contact. Uh, like the, the the one he threw full court, um, and I got the M1 layup. Uh, we just literally made eye contact, and then he threw the ball, so I just went to go get it. Um, but usually he tells me just run, find openings. He's going to find me, and he does every time, so I'll keep doing that.
1: So, yeah, three of Brown's eight field goals that night were assisted by Harden, and there are probably a couple others that he should have converted but either blew the bunny or got fouled. Can't go overboard there. I mean, he's still shooting over 63% on his two-point shots even after you know that rough one-for-five outing in Phoenix. But, you know, as we all know, Brown's value is on the other end, and I think it's important that he continues to get time there because, as we've seen, it's the defense that usually determines how the Nets fare these days. You know, when they give some effort, I mean, they're really hard to beat. And when they lay down like they did in Detroit last Tuesday, it gets ugly. I asked Steve Nash after the Kings game about how some of the team's defensive successes can help root out further lapses. And here's his response. Uh, question similar to Christian's. Uh, on the defensive side, now that you have uh, a template of what has been working, does that make it easier for you to figure out and to communicate to the players when, let's say like during the first quarter tonight, uh, it wasn't going as well?
0: Absolutely. You know, we were pretty... You know, I think we're we're starting to feel pretty comfortable with with our our schemes and our approach. Um, so we we're we're getting past hopefully the, the kind of identifying and and observing stage, and now we're starting to build. So hopefully, there's some consistency coming where we can get a little sharper, a little better, have more prolonged stretches, and like I said, uh, have that sustainability or consistency. So. Hopefully we're turning a little bit of a corner here, but a long way to go. Um, and it's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of concentration and togetherness, but you know, we're on the right path right now.
1: Again, that was Nets coach Steve Nash, who could sure use some reinforcements so he doesn't overtax his stars. Harden played, what, 37 minutes last night on a back-to-back? I mean, Marks hasn't done Nash any favors with the way the roster was constructed, something I wrote about last week in WFN.com. Mark seems to be trying some scotch tape options before, you know, these guys' contracts become guaranteed in a week. You know, the latest I mentioned is Roberson. And for those who listened to the last episode of this podcast, you might remember this was a player that my guest Brian Lewis of the New York Post and I both agreed the Nets should go out and get. But, you know, still, I have no idea what to expect out of him. Guy was once an elite defender, but then was done in by some injury issues in his knee. Played a little bit in the bubble with Oklahoma City. got benched in the playoffs. So, I mean, I guess the Nets will use him like they intended to with Amon Shumpert before, you know, he tweaked his hamstring in one of his first workouts as a net. Guy hasn't even had a chance to play in a game yet. But, you know, going by Noah Vonley, I mean, that guy looks like he hasn't played in a year because he hasn't. And, you know, when Norvell Pell was here, he looked like he never learned how to play the game. So, you know, he was cut to make room for Roberson. So my point is that while I like the flyer they took on Roberson, and Vonley too, by the way, you know, the odds that both of them are gonna hang around through the end of the regular season, they aren't all that great. And to talk about who the Nets might be looking at as the trade deadline and subsequent market nears, is my good friend Michael Scotto of Hoopshype.com. And here's my interview with Michael. Folks, I'm so happy to bring back one of my favorite special guests. I've known this guy since I started covering the Nets back in 2012. And you all know him from all the NBA scoops he gets from his nonstop hustle, the NBA writer and podcast hope for HoopsHype.com. Welcome back, Michael Scotto. Thanks for coming on.
2: Steve, it's always a pleasure to join you. How are you doing, brother? I miss seeing you at the arena.
1: Yeah, me, you, and Pooch, right? Anyway, you know, uh, now that we're not there, I have to imagine that this pandemic has made you jump through some hoops, so to speak. I mean, ever since I've known you, you've been such a dedicated newshound, working the sidelines to talk to scouts and coaches and agents. So how have you managed to work around all the restrictions of access? You know, Steve, that
2: that's for me personally with the job, that's the thing I miss the most is being – able to have those face-to-face conversations with players, coaches, executives, and fellow media members like yourself. Um, I've always found that that's the best way to, uh, one, you know, build relationships and friendships, and two, just um, really just have better conversations. It's, it's harder, I feel, doing things through text and, um, you know, phone calls, um, especially during these heightened Times with the pandemic um, and, and honestly just you know for your own uh, sanity you know just getting out of the house more it's a, <laughs> it's, it's it's a routine and um, it it the I, I think the one thing that's different about it too is for me you know your your body rests a little bit more you know I'm so used to traveling in a Barclays Center Madison Square Garden often taking the train back and forth you know you come back late at night um, you know sometimes past 1130 And, um, I think it's been a little bit bit better on that wear and tear aspect, but certainly you miss the, the relationship aspect. And, and, you know, one thing I think for, for media members too, you know, you would hear sometimes about maybe some locker room blow up stories and guys getting into heated exchanges, or you would hear things outside the locker room. Well, can't do that now. You know, we don't have that access. So that's a, that's an unfortunate thing and that we have to navigate, but Uh, It is what it is at this point.
1: Well, you're still so really well clued into what's going on around the league. And I hear you, I meant all that you said, but uh, the listeners really want to know, you know, they want to, they want your insights as to who's coming here next. You know, you've heard just as we've been talking, the Nets made official, the Andre Roberson signing, they swapped out Norvell Pell's roster slot. So what are you hearing about other potential targets for the bottom of Brooklyn's roster? Uh, you know,
2: I think what we're going to see more of is kind of similar moves to the Norvel Pell and Andre Roberson uh, switch. A lot of these guys have non guaranteed contracts for the Nets, and they're timed so that they're able to be players in the buyout market coming up. Um, you know, you look at some of the guys that they have on non guaranteed contracts, you've got Andre Roberson from one, uh, which I reported last night that his deal was a one-year 9 guaranteed Iman Shumpert, uh, you know, Timothy lawabu Cabarro is, but he's not going anywhere. And uh, Noah Vonley and, you know, you have Chioza as well. So um, they've got a ton of room for flexibility. I think, you know, the answer to your question is it depends on who hits the market. Certainly, um, you know, a guy like Andre Drummond would be ideal. However, You know, and I know I've gotten this from a lot of Nets fans asking, too, on my own Twitter when I had reported about, um, you know, Drummond's trade value and whatnot around the league. Uh, For Hoops Hype, we did a poll on that questioning executives what they thought his trade value was. And, um, you know, the answers that we had gotten back were uh, out of the eight executives, four of them thought he can get a second round pick or maybe multiple second round picks uh if not maybe you could squeeze a protected first i don't know if i saw that and two others were hoping he would go for the buyout but from cleveland's perspective that didn't make a ton of sense because you could always then sign and trade him even if you retain him after the deadline um, which they don't necessarily want to do given the fact that he's sitting out now and jared allen's the future but anytime you've got a 27 year old center who's averaging a double double uh, that's an asset. You know, I thought the the notion of him getting a buyout wasn't as likely. And so.
1: Well, I agree you with know, you, but how can Cleveland, uh, you know, get teams to match the salaries? I think the number that they came up with was about 23 million. That was the 125 percent or something. You know, like a team like Toronto, I saw some guy tweet they'd have to send like four guys yeah so including yeah, no, norman matches, powell to get
2: to match his salary is extremely difficult you know make no no mistake about it that that's an excellent point um i think if you're going to do anything like that it would have to be a uh, especially if you're the nets um there's a likely shot it would have to be a a multi-team deal a uh, three-team deal now i mean look you could theoretically try and you know if you want to play on the Uh, trade machine, you know, sure, you could like try to combine a bunch of salaries, you know, maybe a DeAndre Jordan and a Spencer Dinwiddie um, and then picks. But um, it's just tricky because his salary is so high. Um, You know, I I think for the Nets, you know, when you ask me specifically what guys we don't know yet because the buyout market hasn't developed. But I think any veteran guy um, is going to look to join this team. They're Championship contender, and you know, the biggest thing is if you have a relationship or some tie to Kevin Durant, uh, you're definitely going to be play here with the Nets. We saw with Roberson, you know, royal Ivy joined the coaching staff. Um, you know, this is Kevin Durant's team, they want to not only make him happy, but uh, they trust his input as a guy that's won in Golden State as well. It's It's a collaborative effort, so um. Yeah, I still think it's a little early, you know, being that the trade deadline is about uh, five weeks away or so. It, it's going to take time to develop. You know, you obviously hear J.J. Reddick's name thrown around because he's got an apartment in Dumbo. And for the listeners, I can Great confirm, another guard. I, well, you know, hey, listen, you can never have enough shooting. But I can confirm. I will say this. I can confirm. I have seen J.J. Reddick in Cobble Hill on Henry Street. It's, you know, it's my area. I've, I've seen him walking. Like it now. This was obviously in the offseason. It wasn't now, but um, you know, for for those that are keeping tabs on that, you know, I think for the Nets, obviously the biggest thing they're gonna have to shore up, whether it's a trade market or the buyout, is is their front court uh, rebounding and shot blocking. You know, and you know who knows what could happen with uh with Blake Griffin as well. Um, yeah, I, I want to bring
1: be, him up because you know. You know he was a guy I thought might have made sense when it looked like the Harden trade would have fallen apart, but boy, is he taking a step backwards? What are and you did an article, you know, where you did your talking to scouts. What was uh, the genesis? Or excuse me, what was the conclusion to that piece?
2: Sure. So basically, in that story, um, the majority of the executives felt that it's just going to be too tough to trade him. His his production has gone down. And he's he's a totally different player. So one stat that I found uh, that really caught my eye was uh, his propensity to shoot more now as a pick-and-pop guy. So he's taken 222 shots this season. And out of those 222 shots, 124 of them are from three-point range. Now, the problem with that is he's shooting 31.5% from three-point range. Uh, that's not going to get it done. He hasn't dunked It's well chronicled since uh, December of 2019. And, um, you know, for a guy like Blake, I think he's the type of guy that could fit a playoff team as a rotation guy, either, you know, if he's going to start play limited minutes, or whether it's come off the bench, but I still think uh, he would be rejuvenated playing for a title with a contender. Now, I'm not saying he's going to go back to loud city, but if you're trying to get a guy on a minimum or slightly more than that for, you know, the rest of the season, it's, it's more than worth the gamble that, that was the biggest thing I had gotten from the executives was that he would absolutely be, um, sought after by teams, even though, you know, he's going to hit the buyout market. It, it just,
1: is he more for, likely to be bought out? I mean, he's got two years left on his contract. Drummond is, you know, obviously, you know, expiring. so and you know he'd have to probably take a big haircut. is he will you have your sources indicated one way or another whether he's willing to do that?
2: Well, they're trying to figure that out now what what it would be because you know, behind the scenes, and you know, even one of the executives uh, said it in the piece on hoop site that for him, his agent right now has to be kind of working a little bit behind the scenes here to see. What the landscape would look like, um, you know, should he get bought out, um, you know, because then you're trying to figure out how much you're willing to take off your contract. And, you know, Bobby Marks tweeted um, some guys like Der- Derek Fisher, Darren Williams, uh, you know, Bison Daley and other players that had taken a significant pay cut. Uh, you know, you're talking over uh, $10 million or so. And, uh, you know, Blake right now, this season, Blake is the eighth highest paid player. And so, you know, that's only going up next year, next year, he's closer to $39 million. That, that's a lot to walk away from, but, you know, I mean, I, I'll say this in years past, you know, we've seen Larry Sanders walk away from, uh, I think it was 22 million and Sean Kemp was about 18 and a half as well. So it does happen, but, um uh, that that's a lot this he's not gonna approach that again, you know it's not like uh you're you're gonna recoup that so quickly, yeah, so like for, the guys
1: you just mentioned, the guys you just mentioned, I don't think you know that it turned out to be a wise financial decision. They may have gotten out of places they didn't wanna be, but I don't know that like as you said, they recouped what they lost, no,
2: no, and I mean they all did it for different reasons, but yeah, I you know. Purely from a basketball perspective, if he hit the buyout market, there's going to be a ton of executives that are looking at him as um, a guy that they can add. Because at this point, you know, Steve, the other thing, I, and I was talking about this with a few executives separately from the Blake Griffin story, a lot of the league right now, um, and, I, you know, I know we'll touch on it in the East, but gosh, you know, you look at this uh, conference and um, right now, the Hawks are the 11 seed and they're tied with Miami and and they're 11 and 16. And then you've got a two and a half game difference between the 11 seed and the four seed. That's not that big a gap at all. And even in the, you know, the West is obviously um, a juggernaut as well, but there's a little bit uh, more of a gap there in terms of the teams, in terms of the hierarchy. The East is so much more um, you know, competitively balanced. It Everybody's kind of hovering around, you know, from the four to eight ranges. They're all hovering around 500. So, you know, a game here or there could change the entire complex of the standings.
1: Yeah. So I know uh, we would you mentioned the Eastern Conference. I can jump right there. You know, I'm with Michael Scotto of HoopsHype.com. You know, you know every fan, every year the fans think, you know, the trade deadline's going to be wild. You know, sometimes we get shocked. It mostly comes with a whimper. You know, all the oddities surrounding this se- season, you know, you just mentioned the two and a half game spread between 11 and four. You know, what are you thinking for this season? You know, will these teams... Will more teams want to stick around to compete for a play-in round slot instead of being a normal seller because of all the uncertainty?
2: Yeah, I think so. And I mean, the first uh, barometer of that was look at the New York Knicks getting Derrick Rose. That makes them a much better team. And there's a lot of title contenders that would have liked a crack at Derrick Rose. Um, you know, it's such an arms race in this league. And you know, you're looking at the top teams right now just across the NBA, but, uh, you know, Philadelphia needs some help on the bench. Um, and they could always use more shooting around Ben Simmons. The Bucks with Giannis, you know, they did not get Bogdan Bogdanovich, so they had to supplement that with other guys. Um, you know, they're always continuously looking to add to their depth. Brooklyn's going to be a contender for a lot of guys because everybody would like to play with the big three um in Harden Duran and uh Kyrie and um then you know when you look at the west you get the two LA teams uh beautiful weather out there and and a lot of guys always want to play with LeBron um and so I I look at those guys to be some of the top buyout teams and then other places you know a lot of veterans also are looking for like the best fit now we saw you know Carmelo Anthony go to the Blazers and get a chance to play sometimes guys want to go out on their own terms and still be productive, and that was a great fit for him. So you look at those type of uh, scenarios. When I look at Brooklyn, I just think if you're a front court player, um, that's a prime destination if you're going to be hitting the buyout market. And you know, I know a lot of people think that Brooklyn got rid of the treasure chest, if you will, of trade assets when they gave up a boatload of picks for Harden, but you know, there's still guys on that team that are are movable. Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, is still an asset because, um, you know, if you can acquire him before he hits free agency, you can then, uh, you know, use that to eventually do a sign and trade or if you want to keep him. Um, There's CBA cap benefits to that. Uh, Another guy I don't think gets talked about enough because he's been hurt, uh, Nicholas Claxton. This is a guy that, um you know if he would have came out in the draft a year later was going to be a lottery pick you can ask any executive that that's what they felt at the time Um, I know he's been hurt but that kid's got a lot of upside and anytime you know as we touched on when you would be at the games beforehand you would see a bunch of scouts and execs there keeping tabs on those guys and and he was one of them another guy that they used to keep tabs on was uh Rodion's Carutz who was traded so You know, guys are always on the eye uh, out there trying to find the next diamond in the rough. I don't know if Claxton's as much a diamond in the rough to people because I think, you know, being an early second round pick, people knew who he was. But I think he's a guy that's a little bit slept on in terms of trade value. And then it's all about finding the money. That's the biggest thing. If you're, you know, (laughs) if you're trying to get a guy that's – see, here's one more thing I would say, Steve. Like, when you look at contenders – they're probably over the cap, and you have to. It gives you less wiggle room financially. But if you've got, uh, you know, if you're trying to do a trade, you, you know, look at a team like Oklahoma City. They've got Al Horford and George Hill. Those are guys like you might want to target. I'm not saying for the Nets. I'm just saying in general, um, you know, and you give them like a small pick or something, and and that's that's where it's got to match. So not only you got to look at salaries, you got to look at the need and the fit. But if there's a front court guy whether it's in the trade market or the buyout market, best believe that Brooklyn is going to be in the mix for it and and doing the due diligence.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I just think that there are a lot of teams that are like that. And the one thing that they, you mentioned that they have going for them is that there is an opportunity because DeAndre Jordan, you know, is so up and down, maybe on his ladder legs, let's put it that way, And, you know, there's just no one behind him other than, you know, a small ball five like Jeff Green. So I do want to get into uh, the move that they did make. And that's obviously the blockbuster for James Harden. And I'm not sure, you know, I tried to find out where you stood when the deal was made. But you got to admit so far that it's working, right? I mean, you could talk about how much they miss a guy like Jared Allen on the defensive end. But, you know, what we're watching now from Harden has been brilliant. You know, oh, being i being short-sighted in my thinking.
2: No, not at all. Look, I think, see, this is the other thing that I, I think fans and NBA Twitter, you know, you got to give to get. And Jared Allen is going to be a fine piece and a starting caliber center. Is he going to be an all-star one day? I'm not sure. Is Karis LeVert going to be an all-star? Yeah, he showed flashes of it, but we don't know if it's going to be fully consistent. Um, and, you know, I, I wish Karras the best in terms of his health going forward. Um, but to me, it was a no brainer. I mean, this is a stars league and, you know, putting a big three together like that. Yes, you take a step back defensively. However, that is what the trade and buyout market is for to supplement that. Uh, you know, Steve, the biggest thing I would say is you'd rather have depth in the backcourt and the wing. You'd rather have star power there. Um, yeah, you know, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, and uh, I guess you could throw Rudy Gobert in there. You know, there are some star big men in this league, but um, to me, look at what the Lakers did when they had Dwight Howard on a minimum and JaVale McGee at a small salary, and they won the championship. Big men, you know, Hassan Whiteside signed for a minimum this offseason. Uh, Hassan Whiteside, in my opinion, you know is more talented than that contract showed so you know big men are not as valued around the league I think they are more available than finding a guy that can get you a triple double on a nightly basis to me it was a no-brainer and you know I had you know written this story on uh, hoop hype as well when we we did the, the zoom call with uh, Jared Allen Jared Allen said he would have did the trade if he was Sean Marks too. I mean that you know a lot of people get you know when people get traded you know you see John Wall get upset about getting traded. It's not like he's saying yeah I would have did it for Russell Westbrook. No, you know Jared Allen's like yeah I would have. And um, even and Prince said the same thing. I asked him as well on the Zoom call. So it, yeah, it, it's just really a no brainer. I mean like
1: it. I think sometimes people. Overthink things. Well, I think what happened in in Harden's case is they saw how he how he played in Houston, and it. I I talked to Greg Logan of Newsday about this because he did not like it also because he you know his game was not aesthetically pleasing. A lot of dribbling, one on one, chucking, but Mm -hmm. the way he's playing now with you know 16 assists like that was that was like nothing last night. You know you didn't even know he had like 16 assists. And then there's some passes that he makes that you know, or Magic Johnson like. Well, that's the thing, Steve. You know, I think people forget this. Coming into
2: this season, Harden led the league in assists twice. D'Antoni put him at point guard. He reunited with him here in Brooklyn as he's an assistant on Steve Nash's staff. He's with Steve Nash. You know, and, and a lot of people made the thing about, you know, him and Kyrie or who's going to be the point guard. James Harden's always had more assists than Kyrie. With all due respect to Kyrie. Kyrie's always been an assassin when it comes to isolation plays and um, you know, he's played off the ball with LeBron James in Cleveland. He's doing that now here in Brooklyn. And he it's just a balancing act. And great players like to play with great players. It makes the game easier. And, you know, Kevin Durant, he adjusted to it when he went to Golden State and played with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green. um, And it worked. So, to me, it was... I I guess you can't call it a no-brainer cuz you gave up obviously you know the seven uh picks but if you win the title who cares? And you're se- and not only that, you're setting yourself up where um I I've always been a kind of guy that put the chips in the center of the table and go for it. It's very rare you get this opportunity to have three Hall of Fame players on the floor together. You got to go for it. You, you know, it, it's not like by doing that. This is different. And I think people didn't understand this at first. This is different than when the Nets tried to do it with Garnett, Pierce, Lopez, yeah. Joe Johnson and Darren. No, those,
1: you know, Garnett and Pierce were on their last legs. These exactly. Guys still, they're, they're still going to be all star starters.
2: Yeah, they're smacking their prime right now. And, you know, with all do respect like you don't know. Anytime Kevin Durant like goes down, I get a little nervous just because obviously the guy had a major Achilles injury. You don't know. I, I mean, knock on wood, you hope a guy like Kevin Durant go, doesn't go down or Kyrie. Kyrie's been injury prone in his career. You've got to go for it now while they're in their prime. If you don't my thing, Steve, this is what I said to anybody privately about this trade. If you don't put your chips in the center of the table for it now, when are you going to
1: do it? I mean I agree I agree with you wholeheartedly. I want to tie all this together cuz you did mention something about, you know, guards being, you know, important, you know, mm-hmm. cuz I, I my concern is that Marx is going to fail in surrounding, you know, in balancing the roster. And, you know, I thought that he had opportunities in the offseason and I'm watching all these guys like Serge Ibaka, Nick Batum, guys who are like 6-7 through 6 mm-hmm. 10, six, 11, go elsewhere. You know, I'm, and I'm looking and he's getting, you know, besides Jeff green, who I think was a tremendous pickup. Why all the guards? I mean, did they really need Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown and Tyler Johnson, you know, and when they already had Dinwiddie and Levert and Irving, um, you know, obviously they, you know, at the time they didn't know they were going to get Levert for Harden, but even now Harden Irving. And if Dinwiddie, you know, if, you know, you didn't know Dinway was going to get hurt, but if those were enough guards, you didn't need the bottom of the roster with the, with guys like Shamit and Tyler Johnson, you needed more wings and forwards.
2: Well, the thing was, they didn't have, to me, they didn't have the, uh, they, they didn't have as much money as the Clippers did to get a So to me, that was a deal breaker for them there. um, You look at the guys they brought in, Bruce, Bruce Brown's been awesome for them, but to the to the other guys you mentioned, you know, Jeff Green came in on a minimum, and same thing with Tyler Johnson. You know, these guys, those were the best bargain deals they can get, um, because of their cap situation. I, to me, I, who was the other guy you said beside? Oh, Batum. Big Batum. Batum. So, so here's the thing about Batum. Yeah, they, you know, same thing. Um, you know, it comes down to money, but also like. My thing, I'll say this, Abaka, I like Abaka a lot. I think he would have been a great fit for this team, no doubt about it. Um, That said, that was a financial decision that was kind of simple for him um, at the time with the mid-level. Now, when you're talking about Batum, Nick Batum, to me, is a guy that is good in a contract year. Um, I, I just, I just don't know if I had a pick between those two, I would definitely go with, the uh, you know, a Baca, but that said, you know, it was all about the money at that point. Now I think this is where I think where you're concerned about marks. This is where I think he's going to hit the buyout market. Generally speaking, guys are taking minimum deals to play with a contender. And I think Brooklyn is in the best position to get those guys. Now, it's not – I don't really – unless, you know, a team has an exception of either, you know, well, the Jets have injury two of them. exception.
1: They have yeah, the Nets well, have the Dinwiddie disabled player and they still they still have their taxpayer mid-level. So they haven't used it. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering if Marks is going to find the right guy for that yeah and I mean
2: I think you I think they will I think it's almost gonna be like um who could I compare it to well, you know, look at it this way the way like Kevin Durant kind of you know as the myth goes, you know told them that you know he's just uh he was just coming and that was it. these great players are talking to each other and 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 they're gonna they're gonna come i have I would imagine you know, Katie, Durant and Kyrie if they send a text to somebody, hey, come on, come through, join the ship, let's get it. That's that's all you need. It's <laughs> the the recipe is there. And again, I opportunity for any front court player here, it it would be incredible. And you're getting in a pick and roll with Harden. So I I just think they're going to be fine in that regard. I, I am well aware that there are some nights the Nets can't stop a nosebleed on defense, um, and, and I'm I'm well aware of that. I just think that it's easier to find a shot blocking big or a rebounder. I mean, you know, heck, call Reggie Evans. I mean, I'm only kidding. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, they just they, tried more Pell. There. That
1: guy didn't know how to play basketball. I mean, I had high hopes for Pell. I mean, he did some decent things in Philadelphia, but it's this was basically a guy who just jumps in the air, you know, and comes down on people. And, you know, and if he doesn't block a shot, it's an offensive rebound putback. So it's not – it's, it, I don't think it's as easy as you make it, but I I appreciate the optimism. And, you know, Michael Scotto of HoopsHype.com, I can't thank you enough for giving me some time today. Give our listeners – the inside knowledge you have on the NBA, you all folks should check out his archive page on hoopspipe.com. Ton of insights from his many sources. We talked, we touched on a few of them. Follow him on Twitter too at Mike Ascato. Michael, like I tell all my guests, I wish I could thank you in person. Maybe one day we'll be back inside Barclays Center in the media room catching up. Thank you so much.
2: Hopefully, soon, bro. I wish the best for you and your family and stay safe. I look forward to uh, reuniting, hopefully, uh, you know, sometime in the calendar year.
1: Great job there by Michael Scotto of HoopsHype.com, like he always does when he comes on this podcast. Thank you, Michael. So, I have just one more thing I want to get to that's somewhat related to that conversation, and it surrounds Spencer Dinwiddie. And I must tell you that I i just get a kick out of when my questions in these net zoom sessions create news know that i'm not tooting my own horn here you know the satisfaction that i did my job is enough but i did want to share with you you know nash's response after i asked him to comment on dinwiddie's social media posting about you know his supposedly speedy recovery from his acl surgery so here's the full clip Hi, Steve. I don't know if you saw, but Spencer's been posting a lot on social media about uh, how far along he is in his recovery. And it seems to be possible that he can uh, return at some point this season. Do you share his sense of optimism?
0: I share his sense of optimism for him being back, playing, and being as good as he ever was. But I, I certainly don't want to put any undue pressure, unrealistic um, you know, expectations on him returning this season. Uh, you know, my number one concern with Spencer is long-term health and ability to play and for, you know, and, and finish his career at a really high level. So that, that to me is way more important than trying to rush him back for our own self-interest here. Um, you know, we all know that he's a hard worker. He's incredibly strong and heals quickly. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like the Kevin situation where he had those extra months to adapt to playing, um, if he were to come back this year, I don't. He wouldn't have that. So uh, there's always a balance to be struck. There's always a, some measure to be taken in it. And the number one priority for me um, is that he has a uh, a great rest of his career and is healthy. And I, and I hope that that's a byproduct of his rehab.
1: So from what I gathered, there sure didn't sound like the Nets are going to let Dinwiddie try to come back this season. So I wonder if the Nets are telling prospective trade partners something different. As Michael Scotto said, Dinwiddie is Brooklyn's most tradable asset. The issue there is that the NBA trade deadline is March 25th, while the date for which players need to be waived in order to be eligible for postseason play is, I believe, April 9th. Nets have a $5.7 million disabled player exception that can be used to sign a buyout target. They lose it if they trade Dinwiddie. All these, you know, will be factors as to what Marks can accomplish through more moves throughout this season, you know, to make this team more complete. So with that, I think it's time to wrap up this episode of the City Game Podcast. Again, thank you very much to Michael Scotto of Hoopshype.com for providing his insights into both the Nets and the NBA. I should be back next week. Hopefully with another listener mailbag segment. Sorry I didn't get one in today. Just these West Coast games run so darn late. Hope that doesn't dissuade you from subscribing to this podcast on radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading these episodes. Please feel free to also post some nice comments on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. So until next time. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.